Hello and welcome. Welcome back to the Max Jankar Show. In this episode, we're going to talk about attachment theory. Basically, a theory developed by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth that gives us a pretty decent explanation for why our relationships fail and, in general, why certain relationships fail and others succeed. Essentially, this theory can shine light on what you perhaps were doing wrong in your relationship, what you've been doing right, and even, and even, it can shine light on where you would need to focus on in terms of your mental health, your self-esteem, what areas you would need to improve upon to grow as a person and minimize the risk of repeating the same mistakes that you've made in your last relationship in your new relationship, be that the one you maybe cultivate with your ex, if you're someone who wants to get them back, or if you're someone who like finds a new partner, a new date, that and attaches themselves to that person. So at its core, attachment theory essentially talks about how our primary attachment bond, the bond we cultivate during early childhood by the way we interact with our parents, essentially represents a model for all our future relationships and how out of that primary attachment, we develop one out of four attachment styles, anxious, avoidant, anxious, avoidant, and secure. Now, as you can probably guess, the main source, the primary source of these attachment styles it's our childhood. They start to begin, they start to develop in our childhood. So to give you an example, right? As a kid grows up, they usually want to explore the world around them. However, the world can be pretty dangerous. It can be a pretty scary thing, you know? The child that a kid climbs on could fall. You know, the shiny kitchen stove can burn them. The little dog by the sidewalk may bite their hand off. Everything children learn every step of the way is through trial and error. In other words, young children often fall into a behavioral pattern of some sort, and in most cases, they seek security and comfort from their parents. Yet sometimes, they want to go and leave them behind and explore the occasionally pretty dangerous world. And sometimes, while they are exploring, while they're going about their day-to-day life, it becomes really painful or scary, and suddenly they bolt back to their parents. I want you to notice this dance between security and comfort and insecurity and exploration here. Because this dance between uh, these things continues and expands as the child grows up. Young infants need, for example, the security of their caretakers more or less all the time, with only brief flickers of, you know, self-assured exploration. Older kids need a good amount of both, and by the time you get to teenagers, it's almost all exploration all the time. So in a way, parenting comes down to two skills, letting kids roam and explore when they need to, and providing safety and comfort when they need you. So, parents who nail this balance will generally raise emotional, stable, and healthy kids who go on to have healthy and stable romantic relationships 
later in life. Now, let's be honest, that's probably not you specifically if you're like listening to this, but that's fine because it wasn't me either. It's it's not most of us. Let's go and first tackle our anxious attachment style because this is the one that is most common in terms of the people listening to this podcast, the people tuning into my podcast and reading my blog. Most of you guys, you are going to be someone with an anxious attachment styles. Now, this is this style happens or you develop it when a parent doesn't allow you to explore freely enough or coddles you way too much while you were still a kid. So children who were subjected to this kind of a treatment often never fully develop a sense of independence. They grow up feeling as though they always need someone with them in order to feel comfortable and confident and so they become a likely host for the anxious attachment style. Now in romantic relationships, this attachment style shows up in the following ways. It makes you please other people that you are involved in. It makes you think you are somehow less worthy or lesser than them or like inadequate in comparison to them. It also makes you, because of those tendencies, it also makes you act in very needy, sporadic, neurotic ways. It also contributes to you wanting attention and affection and confirmation that you're still loved and validation basically all the damn time. And usually the people with such an an anxious attachment style, with such a style, they will have trouble being alone. They will have trouble being single. And they will usually rely on their romantic interest for their daily dose of happiness because they often cannot make themselves happy. They also become very quickly, usually in a very, such a fast way that it's already unnatural, they become very rapidly emotionally attached to others. And not only very rapidly, but also in a very strong way, a way that makes them behave in very desperate ways that usually just scare the other person out of their life. Now, to give you some examples of what kind of a person this even is, Someone with an anxious attachment style is someone who would spam their partner's phone, try to control what they're doing or where they are going, and desperately chase after them. This is also someone who believes that they need to earn sex and love, and thus they become uh, needy and desperate, and constantly try to prove themselves to their partner, to their ex, to whomever, that they are worthy of sex and love, One last example, this is also someone who tries to game and manipulate their date, their partner, their ex, whomever, so they would stick around and give them another chance and then another chance and on and on it goes. Now, when it comes to breakups, anxious individuals are usually the ones on the worst end of the spectrum. They're the ones that are usually the most heartbroken and distraught and panicky out of all the other attachment styles. They're also the most prone to becoming depressed after a breakup. And usually they have two very common reactions. They either go on like a dating rampage in hopes of finding someone new to attach to, usually forcibly, and in a time where they are usually also not ready, 
or they go and desperately try to win back their ex. And of course, they usually fail miserably because of it. Because think of it this way, usually for 90% of the people that come to my website, come to this podcast, their ex left them because they were needy. They kept chasing after them. They were essentially weak. And what is the classic defense mechanism or the classic response when someone is an anxious attachment type, which like I said, again, most people reading my site, listening to this podcast are, it's more chasing. It's being a nuisance. It's more of the same stuff that in all honesty, probably contributed to your breakup. It was probably because of your chasing that you got into a breakup in the first place. And of course, how will more chasing now going to change the situation? It probably won't. You probably will not get back with your ex if you do not change your approach. But that's a topic for another podcast episode. Right now, I want to go and talk about the avoidant attachment because this one happens when parents screw up the other way. So when they provide a child a lot of freedom to explore, but are unreliable at being present and offering safety and comfort when the child needs it. That's when a child develops this firm and cold independence, this tendency to mistrust others. Essentially, they develop an avoidant attachment style. Now, in romantic relationships, in relationships, this is a person who usually feels crowded, suffocated, smothered, uncomfortable by often even the most basic displays of affection and intimacy. They have a difficult time trusting their partner also. They a lot of the times seek isolation. They a lot of the times try to suppress their emotions and are usually and usually also withhold honest expression of those emotions. Avoidance also tends to alienate the people that they want in their lives simply because they are too afraid to open up. They irrationally feel that their independence is being threatened by every turn if they just spend like more time with someone, get more intimate with someone. And they usually even construct their lifestyle in a way as to avoid much commitment or intimate contact altogether. For example, an exemplary demographic here are digital nomads. But to give some more concrete examples of what an avoidant attachment is, this is someone who, let's say, goes on a few dates with a person, but then gets scared or anxious or smothered uh, when they open up and start developing intimacy with them. This is also someone who dates their partner regularly, but avoids getting physical and intimate, sexual mainly, with them because they feel shame around their sexuality or have like a lot of anxiety around performing in bed. And also this can be someone who starts feeling unattracted to essentially anyone who treats them with respect and admiration because they themselves don't actually feel worthy of it. Now when it comes to how avoidance respond to breakup, it's pretty interesting. They usually act as though they are not affected by it or at least they try to pretend they're unaffected by it. They essentially often try to repress their pain and negative feelings, kind of bottling up, to put it another way. And as a result, they usually develop some form of trauma or limiting beliefs, and they subject themselves to random spurts of intense emotions and temper tantrums, because as everyone probably knows, 
your emotions need to be released in such a way. You cannot bottle them up forever. Or put another way, all emotions need an outlet sooner or later, especially if they are intense, regardless if they're negative or positive. Now let's talk about the worst of both worlds, the anxious avoidant attachment style. So this one is an attachment style a person would develop, a child would develop, to be more specific, if their parents failed to show comfort and support as well as failed to give the child the freedom to explore. In this case, like I said, this child develops an anxious avoidant attachment style and this is essentially when they desperately crave attention and affection all the time yet they trust no one and simultaneously they also feel intense anxiety around literally everyone. So to give a few practical examples, this is a person who wants to, let's say, get emotionally close to their partner, but doesn't because they worry about hurting their feelings. This is someone who wants to feel close to their partner, but also can't trust them to want to be close to them as well. Or this is someone who can't live without their partner, who is like addicted, codependent even, to to them, even though their relationship is clearly not working. This is someone, for example, with an anxious avoidant attachment style. However, let's now flip the script. Let's go and tackle the secure attachment style, which is actually the one attachment style that you should, as we will discuss a bit later, always focus always try to achieve as much as possible. We'll also get into what that specifically means a bit later. Now, this is an attachment style that essentially develops when a parent has nailed both of their jobs with a child in their childhood. So they let them roam and explore while at the same time they provide safety and comfort when their child needed it. In romantic relationships, people with a secure attachment are generally going to be comfortable with displaying interest and affection. They will also be comfortable being alone and independent. They can correctly prioritize their relationships within their life, and they also tend to draw very clear personal boundaries and stick to them. Now, secure attachment types, they obviously make for the best friends, romantic partners, family members, even friends. They are people who are capable of accepting rejection, moving on despite the pain of the breakup. However, they can also be, in terms of, let's say, romantic compromise, they can be loyal. They know how to sacrifice their wants when it's absolutely necessary. And they don't do it when it's not necessary. And they have little to no issues trusting other people uh, they, they are close to, and are usually also trustworthy themselves. Again, like I said, this is who you want to be. I'll show you how to get there in just a little bit, but for now, let's talk about some other influences on attachment styles, because there are plenty. It's not only parenting, although that is the most major influence, the most important ones. There's also genetics, peer groups, and previous romantic relationships, and I think it's very appealing and very useful. I think useful is even a better word for it, to go through these other influences so you can really grasp how well deep the roots of attachment styles of attachment theory 
actually go. So let's start with genetics. Now, while genetics don't determine everything, they are important. This is the first thing you should keep in mind when you are, well, learning about genetics tied to attachment theory. Now, how do they pan out? How do genetics pan out? Well, consider this example. If a person is fiercely independent and refuses to be held down by commitments, so they're leaning towards like an avoidant attachment style, then this person is likely genetically wired to be this way to a degree. Same story if a person who always wants to be, if a person always wants to be the center of attention, they are likely programmed to lean towards like anxious tendencies or an anxious attachment style. Now, the annoying part about genetics is that we can't really change them. We have to live with them, so there's nothing else we can do but accept them, the good and the bad. So in other words, we're not to blame for our genetics, but it is our responsibility to do the best with what we have been given. Likewise, it's also wise to set proper expectations based on our genetic makeup. So what do I mean by this? Well, let me give you two more examples. If you're someone highly social who has a string of highly social siblings and ancestors, you've got to accept that you'll probably never be a hardcore independent and introverted person. Nor should you be, to be honest. Like, nothing better um, in either of these extremes or either of these poles. Now, in a similar way, if you're highly independent and introverted, you must accept that you'll also never be like a natural social butterfly and that that's fine. That's completely normal. You can change maybe 20% of your personality or the attachment tendencies that are tied deeply with genetics. But the other 80%, probably even more, this is just like a rough estimate, you likely will not be able to change. So keep that in mind. Again, what we're doing here is just trying to figure out all the facets that contribute to developing your unique attachment style. Now, the next one on our list is going to be peer groups. Now, this is a very simple one. This relates to friends and classmates mainly. And these, these peer groups, your peer groups, they will start to have a big effect on your personality and not just your attachment type. However, that's a topic for another episode. Right now, I want to give you a little example how peer groups in practice in the real world touch upon your attachment. So, consider you've gr- let's let's say, let's imagine you've grown up in an environment where making friends is a pain in the ass, right? In that case, you probably will develop some sort of avoidant attachment tendencies which usually lead to avoidant attachment. Whereas, if you grow grown up in an environment where everyone was safe and everyone was connected, perhaps an environment where everyone also looked and dressed and maybe even behaved in the same way or in very similar ways, if that's the case instead, you probably will develop a lot of anxious attachment tendencies which will usually lead to an anxious attachment style. Now, interestingly, we can apply these same principles that we talked about also 
to our previous romantic relationships. So we're talking about the principles of security, comfort, and insecurity and exploration. We can apply all that stuff to our previous romantic relationships, be that casual or committed ones. And what do we get? Well, we get another influence on our attachment styles. In practice, this means that if you were in a relationship with someone highly controlling, with someone really overbearing for an extended period, that may actually exacerbate your insecurity and your attachment issues. It can also prompt you to become wildly self-sufficient when you decide to date someone new later on. Therefore, it can prompt you, it can prime you to develop after time or in a gra- and in a gradual way an avoidant attachment. Now, similarly... If you've spent many years in a relationship with a partner who was absent, someone who frequently pulled away from you and basically kept their distance, someone who wasn't really that reliable, if that's the case with you, you have probably developed some sort of an anxious attachment style as a result, even if you did not have one previously. Now, the funny thing about attachments in general, now that we've gone over the basics of what each one means. The funny thing about it, and also the very dangerous aspect of them, is that the anxious and avoidant, or the anxious and anxious avoidant, or the avoidant and anxious avoidant, uh, but we'll just stick to anxious and avoidant for this section because it's going to be way easier to understand. But to get back to the point, the anxious and avoidant often end up dating one another, and they create a toxic relationship as well. Here's how this pans out, and I want you to, as you're listening to this, I want you to try and have a conversation with me here. Is the pattern that I will describe right now, is this pattern familiar to you? Have you perhaps cultivated any similar pattern or patterns with your ex, with most of your exes with all of your exes or even it doesn't they don't even need to be an ex we can simply observe your dating life in general have you ever had any sort of a romantic relationship be that casual or committed one with someone and you can sense any of these patterns that I will go over I want you to think about that but to get to the actual patterns here's how this anxious avoidant dynamic actually pans out and how it essentially fucks everything up so it all starts with the anxious person being drawn to the avoidant one because when they withdraw when the avoidant withdraw they trigger the anxious person's fear of abandonment creating a cycle of seeking reassurance and validation now this dynamic initially fulfills their attachment needs as the anxious feels temporarily soothed when the avoidant momentarily engages in closeness. But here's the catch. Sooner or later, when the avoidant withdraws, the anxious person's need for closeness, it really intensifies. And then the chaser-chasey cycle begins. One person keeps pursuing closeness and intimacy, the other person keeps running away from closeness and intimacy. And it's this cycle while it does feel really exciting at times, that usually only creates emotional instability and insecurity in a relationship. Because the anxious person, 
they constantly feel neglected and rejected, that's why they chase in the first place, and while the avoidant constantly feels suffocated and overwhelmed due to the chasing of the anxious one, and eventually this toxicity becomes fucking unbearable, and the relationship ends in a breakup, or even worse, the two incompatible, in my opinion, idiots stay together, permanently staying in a relationship that's overflowing with resentment, with drama, with misery, and it just makes, well, it's just not a good sight to behold, it's a fate that I don't wish upon anyone. Now you're probably wondering, well, gee whiz, Max, how can I now pinpoint my attachment style? Like, I know what they are, I know I should be more careful of the dynamics that sprout, that manifest as a result of my attachment style and perhaps dating someone with the opposite attachment style, but how do I know that this is me? How do I know that I'm an anxious? How do I know that whether I'm an avoidant or whether I'm even an anxious avoidant? Well, I suggest, first of all, taking one of the many, many, many online quizzes about attachment styles just type into Google attachment style quiz and it'll give you probably a good starting point in terms of where you are at, in terms of your attachment. Now, if you are someone who is a bit more complicated, maybe you're someone with an anxious avoidant attachment style, which is usually the most severe version and usually the version that leads to the worst outcomes, both in terms of your relationships and in terms of your mental health. If you're someone like that, please, I think therapy is going to do you real good. Not only in terms of identifying your attachment style, if you right now like suspect you're an anxious avoidant, but also in terms of managing it, because listening and applying the stuff that I teach in a podcast like this, it's not enough if you're an anxious avoidant. You need therapy period. However, if you're simply just either an anxious or either an avoidant, well, I have a few other tips uh, up my sleeve. So first off, yes, like I said, do one of the quizzes that you can find on Google by just typing attachment style quiz into it. Now, other than that, I developed a little exercise that you can try out here with me, and it can maybe give you some more clarity about your attachment style. And the exercise or the activity goes like this. I want you to think back to when you were together with your ex. I want you to try and remind yourself how you reacted when they, for instance, they told you that they would call you in an hour, but they never fulfilled that promise, or at least they didn't do it in a timely manner. Now, If you felt relieved and perhaps even fearful and nervous that they actually will call, so you felt relieved when they didn't call and you also wanted them to not call, in that case, you're probably an avoidant or at least you have some avoidant tendencies. Now, if you became worried, panicked or angry after they didn't call, wondering if you'll ever hear from them again, or maybe you started thinking things like, it's over, uh, whatever, they're cheating on me, I'm done for. If any of that's the case, you probably have an anxious attachment. And finally, if you remained calm and patient and simply assumed your ex was busy or forgot a phone call altogether, which you're fine with, you are probably a 
someone, you're probably someone with a secure attachment style. Now, at its most general, when you're trying to figure out your attachment, you should observe your behavioral patterns first and foremost, then you should scrutinize your emotions, and of course be really, really fucking honest about what you find and the connections you make. Note, however, that secure individuals always also, no, not always, but 99% of the time, have anxious and avoidant tendencies. So this means that you can fundamentally be secure, for instance. However, you'd still, at certain points or in certain situations, meaning contextually, avoid commitment or intimacy, or you worry whether your partner still likes you or not. This is what I mean when I say that you can be fundamentally a secure person, yet still have some insecure tendencies, either shifting towards avoidance or leaning towards um, the anxious attachment. But anyway, let's talk about how you can change your attachment style to secure. So, first of all, to be very clear, it's a difficult journey. For perspective's sake, it took me about two years of therapy and three years of dating secure people and digesting and applying self-help stuff, self-help books and courses and whatnot, to get myself to a secure attachment style. That said, there are a few pointers I can give you on how to change your attachment style, and we will start on the pointers and the tips I can give you uh, that will allow you to go from anxious to secure. So my first tip is to find what triggers your anxiety and become aware of when you are feeling it. The idea is that once you figure out what triggers anxiety, you can find ways to eliminate those triggers. And when you become aware of your anxiety, you can learn to manage it better. Tip number two, leverage proven healing modalities, meditation, journaling, yoga, Qigong, dream reporting, self-love practices, and gratitude practices. I have wrote extensively on all of these practices already, like I said on my blog, with the exception of yoga and Qigong, in which case I urge you go and watch a couple of YouTube videos on this topic if you want to learn more about them. Both are really great for anxiety management and Anxiety management, as we've discussed, is really great for going from an anxious attachment style to a secure one. Next step, look for overreactions to certain situations. Then try to see them for what they really are, just overreactions. A pretty good way to make this a daily habit consistently uh, is to ask yourself whenever you're anxious or fearful or stressed out, Is it reasonable to feel anxious right now or is my attachment playing tricks on me? And finally, the last step, date someone with a secure attachment style. This will actually allow you to absorb some of their security and grow more secure yourself. Now, when it comes to going from an avoidant to a secure, here are a couple of tips. First one being, you need to practice vulnerability. Hands down, this is the most important thing you can focus on. And so, 
Few people focus on it and it pisses me off because I've been beating this drum probably about, probably for like three years now. And I don't still feel, I feel that it's still something that's underrated. Vulnerability is underrated. So in practice, what I'm saying here is get used to repeatedly opening yourself up about the views and the beliefs you are most afraid to express. Politics, religion, uh, your view on kids, your view on like life purpose. Don't be shy about these things, your trauma, your childhood really painful as well as really beautiful childhood experience. I urge you, if you're right now really uncomfortable with this, especially in the context of talking to someone you like, go and meet up with a good friend for a few and after like a few minutes of bantering with them, of talking about your life and whatnot, go and share some of your deeper, more personal thoughts and opinions with them, something you maybe haven't shared before, something uncomfortable, and build up your tolerance for vulnerability, your ability to open up more through them, and then you can essentially go into your dating life and bring about the same mentality into it onto your dates with the people that you actually like romantically and sexually. The next thing I want to mention is you should be practicing self-awareness. Basically, try to notice your avoidant tendencies when you are interacting with people. And instead of closing off when they happen, when you feel that sudden urge to try and like run away or that sudden urge where you feel suffocated and you just want to shut up and you just want to shut the whole world down and escape, essentially, when that happens, make a conscious choice to open up even more. And like in one of the tips that I shared just previously from uh, going from unanxious to secure, it also helps if, in this case, you ask yourself, do I feel alarmed or or like suffocated, smothered, whatever you feel in terms of those concepts? Do you feel that way for a good reason or are your avoidant tendencies getting the best of you? Are they playing tricks on you? Finally, the same tip I gave previously to people who want to go from anxious to secure, same thing applies to going from avoidant to secure, go and date someone with a secure attachment style. This will allow you to absorb some of their security and grow more secure yourself as a result. Now, finally, going from an anxious avoidant to a secure variant. Obviously, the first step on our list here, practice all of the above. Vulnerability, awareness, self-examination, all the healing modalities I went through, and dating someone secure go and practice essentially all of it and of course use the tips depending on the situation that you are in. If you are feeling anxious tendencies, use tips that combat anxious tendencies. If you are feeling avoiding tendencies at a certain moment because you're gonna feel both anyways, go and use and utilize the tips that are made for combating avoidant tendencies. It's really that simple. Now, the one tip that I will add is that, as I already alluded to earlier, please seek out a therapist. Anxious avoidance is the rarest and most complicated attachment type, 
a person can have, and an average person will not be able to simply change it alone. Most often, professional intervention is needed. Note that you, that you might need to hop around like, like I did and like most people do, several therapists before you find someone that you can actually relate with, someone that you can actually trust, which is, by the way, completely normal. I want you to persist with your exploration until you find someone that suits you. And then once you find that someone, uh, I want you to stick with them for the long term, like year plus. Otherwise, it just probably won't work. Now, the last thing I want to say is that you should be, while you're trying to pinpoint and change your attachment style and understand it and how it contributed to your response to your breakup, as well as your relationship and your breakup in general, like how it contributed to your relationship failing and you getting into a breakup. That's what I mean. Throughout all of this, I want you to be accepting of what you find out. Because the truth is, we all lose control of our quote-unquote attachment car sometimes. Sometimes, anxious attachment types will reach out to their ex when they know they shouldn't. They will be needy when they know they shouldn't be. They would chase the people in their life that they love, that they like, perhaps, when they know it only will lead to rejection. Other times, avoidance will go on a bad crushing, come on the wall, come all over the wall rampages with total strangers only to push their heartbreak deeper down, only to suppress their pain more, and they will be more traumatized as a result once those feelings will start to bubble up to the surface of their conscious and they will not be able to contain them any longer. That's fine. These things happen. Like I said, we lose control of our attachment car all the time. Don't beat yourself about it too much. When you bump into your next obstacle, just notice that you've got into a into a car crash and then adjust course and move further. Always move further. You're gonna make mistakes along the way. It's fine. That's it. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you now know a little bit more. You have a little bit more insight into why you broke up why you are dealing with the mental health issues, the emotional issues that you perhaps are dealing with, and why some relationships fail, others succeed. And finally, of course, how you can now make your next relationship succeed, be that with your ex or someone else. So that's it. Thanks for tuning in and take care.